0: WATD presents Monday Night Talk. With your host, Kevin Tachi.
1: If it's Monday night, it's got to be Monday Night Talk with Kevin Tachi. So thanks for having me on.
0: Kevin, good for you to hold back and let him tell a story. Putting the South Shore spin on politics, current events, and pop culture. You guys are the center of the universe today, at least the political universe. I
2: believe both of you are, are from the area. Marshfield guys? Yes, no? Mm-hmm. Correct, yeah. That's right.
1: There's only one person not from Marshfield in this room right now, <laughs> and it's you. <laughs> it's me. I'm the outcast. Well, you've always been generous with the time. I appreciate it very much. I'm honored to be on your show tonight, Kevin, with that impressive lineup you have.
2: I believe our guest that we've been waiting for, Congressman Stephen Lynch. Kevin, good to join you. The governor of the Commonwealth, Charlie Baker, you ready? I gotta tell you that uh, it's really nice to hear Aerosmith on in the intro there. So you're gonna be the rock and roll governor? I don't know about that, but... We have Mayor Joe Sullivan joining us, sir. How are you? Well, Kevin, very good to be with you again. Dr. Drew Pinsky. Dr. Drew, are you there? I'm here. Thanks for having me. Mr. Ming Tsai, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thanks, Kevin. Massachusetts State Auditor Suzanne Bump. Hello, Auditor. How are you?
3: I am fine, and I'm delighted to be with you this evening. And
2: now, your host, Kevin Tachi. Welcome and good evening. You are tuned in to Monday Night Talk here on 95.9 W. ATD as we cruise into the month of November. Can you believe it? November. It's already upon us. The holiday season, right around the corner. Election Day in communities in and around the South Shore. Not all of them. Uh, There's some confusion. I know that uh, Brockton is having an election tomorrow. Quincy. The great town of Weymouth. Boston, but we don't go that far. (laughs) I turn my heat on first day of the month. I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> <laughs> that, of course, is uh, the great Larry Nelson uh, on the uh, on the board this evening joining us. Also, you can hear him uh, midday sometimes. You can hear him 2 to 6 and every Saturday nights with the great Ed Bowen. I know I tune in. Do you? we got a great show lined up for you. We're going to kick things off in a few moments, uh, speaking with Brockton Mayor Robert Sullivan. He is up for a, a third term. We'll chat with with him. Also, I believe that we're going to have uh, Susan McCastro. Uh, she is a ward for city council. Also, uh, your council president. She's also on the ballot tomorrow in the city of Brockton. Uh, and then we talk with Rick Kelly. Rick is the president of the Plymouth County Deputy Sheriff's Association. We're going to learn a little bit about what this, the association does. As well as uh, find out about an event that they have coming up, Battle of the Badges. That's actually going to be taking place this coming Sunday from 4 to 7 p.m. in Hanover. We'll talk a little bit about about that and where the funding from that event will go. So that's coming up. That's the first hour in a nutshell. Second hour. Second hour is going to be so fun. Uh, we're going to kick things off with Joe Kenny. Joe Kenny is a local animal animal control officer and uh, he is going to join us to talk a little bit about bears. We see bears everywhere. We hear reports. Is it the same bear Are there multiple bears? I was going to chat with him about the the rodent population. It's depending on where you live, it's it's a big problem. Uh, We'll have a chance to chat with him as to what his local community is doing to uh, try to put a dent in the population. I don't think traps is the issue. I believe that they have another way. It's called birth control. No, serious. you want to stay tuned for that. Also, Joe is one of these guys who actually has a, a show. Anytime there's a community event, he has a collection of crazy critters. Now, Larry, don't laugh crazy critters. I believe that he might have 60 species of tarantulas. Uh, I think I asked him to bring a few in tonight and unleash them on the building. Uh, no, uh, but he's going to talk a little bit about his crazy critters. Anything from from lizards, snakes, um, uh, large insects. We'll talk with him about that. Joe's crazy critters. And then, we're going to speak with uh, Steve Stroom. He is the author of a book called Success and Self-Discovery, a business memoir with insightful tips and personal development advice that will help any entrepreneur. So that we'll have our author talk uh, at 730. But right now, let's turn all of our attention to uh, our first guest. He is uh, the 50th mayor of the City of Champions. He is Mr. Robert Sullivan. Mayor, welcome back to Monday Night Talk.
1: Kevin, uh, thank you again for having me on as your unofficial official co-host. It's always an honor and privilege to join you, so thanks for having me on.
2: Yeah, if we, we can ever get your fanny back in here. We actually have proof that you are, as you said, uh, the official co-host of Monday Night Talk.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm going to come down after this uh, election tomorrow, win or lose. I'm going to come down and see you real soon.
2: So, uh, you know, here we are. You're heading in. You're looking to get, you know, hopefully, to secure your third term what is it what has this last term been like and what have been some of some of the highs
1: yeah you know I mean at the end of the day it's an honor and privilege to serve the mayor uh, capacity for the city that I was you know raised in right my mom and dad are here my in-laws are here I met my wife in Brock in a Brocken high and you know I took office six weeks as you know six weeks before the pandemic january 6th of 2020 so a lot of the uh, the first term and we're two year term mayors here in the city of Brockton was uh was really hampered by the pandemic right and unfortunately we lost almost uh, six hundred residents to the to the deadly pandemic but one thing that i that I did do I, I made a concerted effort to keep construction going right we didn't pause construction uh, in spite of covid so you know we did all the safety uh precautions and social distance and all that stuff but you know we have been able to really uh harness the idea of of transit-oriented development right we have three commuter stops in the city of brockton jump on the train get in the south station in boston about 35 minutes jump in a car and go the other way and get down to providence rhode island in about 35 minutes as well so you know i'm i'm really proud of the development we have 700 new housing uh, units either in development or in the planning stage both mixed affordable and market rate and uh, just last week uh, axios named brockton the best suburb in uh, in the commonwealth of massachusetts kevin so You know, we are really moving forward, attracting businesses to Brockton. Me Niña, which is a uh, tortilla chip manufacturing, came to Brockton, left Needham, uh, created 20 new jobs, a $12 million facility on West Chestnut Street. And of course, Brockton Beer is is just a phenomenal story. And uh, Porton d'Azilia is another restaurant, a Cape Verdean restaurant in the the core of the city, Campello, the south side, where I know the city council president, Suna Castle is gonna join us in a little bit, but that's Ward 4. You know, I'm running because number one, we have to keep moving Brockton forward, right? We have to tackle the issues together, we have to solve them together, and collaboration is key. But um, you know, I, I'm I'm on the ballot. Uh, polls open at 7 a.m. They close at 8 p.m. tomorrow. And uh, as I've always said, I mean, I've served uh, for many years now, either on the city council or, or as mayor, Kevin. And you've known me. It's uh, you know, it's, it's about it's about working for for people. We're in the people business, and so uh, I'm excited to. Uh, to go and work until the polls close tomorrow night at 8 o'clock and, and you know I'm very hopeful and I'm humbly asking people to uh, give me their vote of confidence as we continue to move forward together. So, so what
2: if you are successful at the end of the evening the city uh, the city returns you back in office for a third term what do you feel will be some of the, the things that you and your staff will focus on uh, for the next two years?
1: Well, a couple of different things. I mean, the quality of life issues, uh, you know, I, I created the Clean City Initiative uh, during my last state of the city. We reinstated a dedicated code enforcement task force, which is both uh, police and building department and, and fire and they're going out to address uh, citizens' complaints and mental violations throughout the city. But. You know, we also, as you know, created a marketing tool called Where Better Begins, right? We're branding the city of Brockton. We have a new professional baseball team coming to Campanelli. So the Brockton Rocks are staying here, and then we're going to have a professional uh, Frontier League affiliate coming to, to the city of Champions. So, you know, there's a lot of things going on, Kevin. We're seeing an uptick of mental behavioral health and drugs and alcohol, addictions, homelessness without question, and... So there's a lot going on, and if I'm fortunate to uh, prevail tomorrow night, I, I need to continue, the, the, you know, continue the efforts of working uh, to get the Brockton Hospital back up, up up online as well. So, you know, it's about making sure that some of the projects are already in the queue, uh, the Opera projects, the American Rescue Plan projects, the War Memorial renovation for our veterans, the uh, huge expansion of the Council on Aging Senior Center, five thousand square feet, all parks and playgrounds in the seven wards are being addressed and. Um, you know, City Hall itself, which is the most beautiful City Hall, I believe, my humble opinion, in the Commonwealth, right? And so, you know, we need to continue to make sure, number one, that the federal money, which is a one-time shot, uh, that we spend it wisely and we really get uh, value out of that money. So it's about relationship building, Kevin. And um, to be an effective leader, you have to be a good listener. So I'm going to continue to to listen to the constituents and work with my fellow elected officials.
2: You mentioned about the the, um, Campanelli Stadium, uh, home of the Rockton Rocks, uh, Futures Collegiate Baseball League, and now you're saying that there's it's going to be a second baseball team, Frontiers League, uh, team that's going to be sharing the field and the clubhouse with the Brockton Rocks?
1: Absolutely. So we're going to have a total of 80 games, uh, home games at Campanelli, mm-hmm. um, the same ownership uh, Brian Kahn. Mr. Brian Kahn owns the Brockton Rocks, and he's going to be owning this professional team as well. And you know it's it's going to be exciting i mean i'm a baseball guy i love baseball but you don't have to be a a baseball Fanatic to enjoy the the family uh, environment at, at Campanelli Stadium. The ticket prices are so reasonable. The food and beverages are so reasonable. But really, it's going to be a great product on the field. And so we saw when the Savannah Bananas came um, mm-hmm. this summer. You know, we had almost six thousand people in the seats at Campanelli. So um, I'm excited to uh, to continue to to work with different businesses. You know, sporting environments I think are, are, are great, but it's also making sure that. Um, you know we're addressing the needs of of our city employees. So we have a 98 million dollar public safety building uh, located right now. It's 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 been razzed, the old uh, Brockton High School on the corner of Warren Ave and and uh, West Elm Street. We've already um, we've already razed it down. So it's down and it's going to be a 98 million dollar public safety building, police and fire, IT. Going to leave brockton high to come to this building it's going to free up about five classroom spaces at brockton high school for the students and the staff and and then beam up brockton emergency management is at the war memorial they're going to come over and biggest thing as well is it's going to have two-way traffic now warren ave is one way uh it's going to be two-way traffic from spring street all the way down to belmont street where the courthouse is so um you know i'm excited about the things that are going on in the city of brockton two-year terms are, are really quick uh but it's about you know understanding what you can do and and you know listening and working with the different organizations in the city of brockton and you know i've been able to uh to, to get some great endorsements on my re-election governor healing lieutenant governor driscoll endorsed me uh former governor charlie baker and karen polito the lg congressman lynch u.s senator markey uh former boston mayor marty walsh endorsed me and and brockton mayors right went for farwell jack units linda Balzardi. Um, but I'm really excited about some of the union, right, the hardworking men and women that, that really are making a difference in the city and in the Commonwealth and in the nation. And uh, Local 144, our Brockton firefighters have endorsed me, Local 7, the iron workers, Local 25, the teamsters, and professional firefighters of mass. and the Labor's District, which is Massachusetts and Northern New England, the Labor Council District, and local for the operating engineers. And, you know, I, I, I don't say that uh, for any other reason, but, you know, when you get an endorsement, um, it's it's a vote of confidence, and, and they appreciate what you've done, what's your track record. They do their due diligence. So I'm excited to, uh, to keep moving Brockton forward.
2: Again, if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with uh, Brockton Mayor Robert Sullivan who is our guest. His name is on the ballot. Uh, You've got the choices. If you are in Brockton, uh, you choose for mayor, choose for city council. Of course, you have ward counselors, you have at-large counselors, and school committee, all on the ballot, uh, seven wards, 28 precincts, and I think uh, think the polls open at, what, 7 a.m., if I'm correct, right, Mayor? They do.
1: They do, 7 a.m. to 8 p.m., and... uh you know it's supposed to be a beautiful day it was a beautiful day in september right the preliminary it's non so it's not a primary it's a preliminary uh, but only less than eight percent of registered voters went to the polls so looks like we're going to have great weather again tomorrow and, and the hope is that you know people go out there and vote and you know, at the end of the day, it's it's a democratic uh, process, and, and people will go out and vote, and, and just remember, I mean, it's your civic duty to vote if you're registered, and people have given their lives for that for that freedom and that ability to do it, so I, I'm just asking people to, to please please consider me, but more importantly, get out there and vote and, and, and cast your vote for uh, the future of the City of Champions.
2: What do you feel as mayor, and the, the, again, I'll also ask this of Suna Castro, we're expecting Sue to join us probably in a couple of moments, just to kind of chime in and, and you know, talk Talk about her her campaign for re-election, but what do you feel are going to be? What are some of the main issues that are going to be at the forefront that the city is going to have to deal with? You know, uh, if you are returned to office for a third term.
1: Well, I think there's there's a lot of different things. We're, we're dealing with a, a deficit from FY23 on the school side, and we're working diligently on that and trying to figure out, you know, how that happened. Number one, what was the system failures, and, and how you make corrective action so it can never happen again but as i said we're seeing an uptick in homeless populations right and uh you know we all grew up with it with the idea and the principle of a roof over your head and there's a lot of variables why people are on the streets and you know drugs and alcohol are a true catalyst but um maybe they lost their home in the full foreclosure epidemic but you know, I'm the rep- I'm representing as mayor everybody in the city of Brockton, right? All the residents. If you have a house, if you don't have a house, and so the really promising thing is Father Bill's Main Spring, which is in the city of uh, Brockton and also in the city of Quincy, uh, and they're moving to Manley Street, which is federal land, abutting the VA hospital on Belmont Street, and they're going to create a campus setting up there with wraparound services for the homeless population and. Right across the street, when I grew up in Brockton, it was called the Carlton House, but now it's called the Roadway Inn. It's a, it's a hotel right before you get on Route 24, mm-hmm. and that's for homeless folks now. And it's it's really a game changer. So, you know, I'm excited to continue to to see how we can leverage our partners in Washington D.C. and our partners in Beacon Hill in Boston. We have three state reps and, and one state senator and. You know they're all really, really hardworking public servants, and little things make a difference, right? Perception's reality, and you know we're called the City of Champions. It's really the people that are the champions, Kevin. And you know I'm not taking anything against Rocky Marciano or Mavis Marvin Hagler. i mean, two icons in the city of Brockton, but when I go around and I, I listen and learn and I talk, it's really the people, right? And we've always been a city of of hardworking uh, immigrants, right? My old grandparents came from Ireland to work in the shoe factories, and so. You know it's it's an inclusive welcoming um city you know we're not wealthy if you look at our financial ledger we're not wealthy but um the wealth is really in the people and people coming here to make a difference for the next generation and you know i could be the worst baseball basketball and soccer coach in brockett i probably am but i do it for a reason right? i'm trying i'm trying to help out the kids and you know provide um you know some opportunities i'm a dad of three kids myself and and a loving husband and you know i have great support at home and and you know, I want to applaud everybody that puts their name on the ballot, Kevin, because it's a daunting task. Um, and you also take a lot of time away from from your family, right? And it's time you're never going to get back. But if you do it for the right reasons and you make tough decisions, you can't make everybody happy. Um, but again, my you know my record stands for itself. And uh, it's just I just before I, before I called you, Kevin, I was out there. We were just doing a, a sign holding right there at West Middle School, and uh, really positive, positive, positive uh, feedback. So I'm excited to continue to work and. Again, we'll see how the polls shape up at 8 o'clock tomorrow night. So
2: joining us now, Mayor, is uh, uh, Madam Council President uh, Susan Nicastro. Uh, uh, counselor, welcome to back to Monday Night Talk.
4: Thank you. Thank you for having me on.
2: And can you hear the mayor? The mayor is, just joined, is with us, yeah, too. We lost the mayor. He has to call back. Oh, we lost the mayor. Mayor, you're going to have to call back. Um, yeah,
4: that didn't take long.
2: No, it didn't. And hopefully he'll call back. I don't know how we, we lost him, but... All you have to do is call back, Mayor. If you're tuned in, please call back. Um, so, Susan, how are things going? How are things? You know, tomorrow's big day. You're looking uh, to to be reelected as ward councillor. Um, tell folks a little bit about uh, about yourself that, that who don't know you as the council president uh, for this past uh, year. Well, that's
4: right. I'm in my sixth year as a, as Brockton City Councilor. I represent Ward Four. On the unfashionable south side of the city, um, I've lived in Four for more than thirty years, um, and this year I'm serving as the president, as you mentioned, of the council, which has been quite an interesting experience. Um, I am educated as an attorney. I've been an attorney, believe it or not, for forty years. I only sound like an ingenue, right? Um, and. And I, I, so I've done that. My practice has been in real estate. Um, I've served publicly. I've been a volunteer for 20 years at a local food pantry. I served on the planning board and the ZBA, and now as a city councillor. First time I ran in 2015, I ran as a councillor at large, which is a citywide election, as you know, and I lost to Winter Farwell. And now I've been representing since
1: 2017. Word
4: for
2: so, I, I believe we have the mayor back on. Okay. Mayor, you can you hear us, Susan?
1: Is your talk- I am back. I, I want to thank the council president. I just want to take a quick second. Uh, Susan DeCastle is just uh, an unbelievable public servant, but a better person, and she's a dear friend of mine. But when I have to leave the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, she serves as the acting mayor, and she has done it in a stellar fashion. So, again, um, I'm I'm really happy she can join us tonight and. You know, I'm very hopeful that the voters in Woodford, um, you know, go to the polls tomorrow because uh, she is someone with a proven track record that that does it for the right reasons. And um, you know, I'm excited that she could join us tonight, Council. I should a- sh-
2: Council. I should ask you: is, uh, how important is the, is a working relationship with the mayor? It's not necessarily a rubber stamp type of an ordeal. But talk to me about about being able to have regular conversations with the mayor.
4: It's very valuable communication it's just it, you, you can't overstate the importance of communication um in in municipal government but i'm very fortunate that mayor sullivan lets me nag him and remind him of things and bring things to his attention on a regular basis he, i think he's a very good mayor and i i'm very confident that he will be re-elected re- tomorrow
2: so, so I had asked him, and I'll ask, I'll ask you, I'll, I'll ask you the same question: What do you, what do you feel are going to be if you are returned as award 4 counselor uh, to the, the city of Brockton? Uh, what do you feel going to be the, the big, the big issues that uh, you know the city council and the mayor are going to have to you know uh, tackle come 2024-2025?
4: um it will continue to be i think the deficiency that was revealed in the um in last year's budget for the school department we have to get to the bottom of it and find out why this happened so that we put um, measures in place that it never happens again it will also be the unhoused because as a city with lots of social services we're we're um we're seeing an influx of unhoused in addition to all of those we already had. And um, it's heartbreaking, and it's also very difficult to deal with. And we've got to find a way, as you see in the media, there was an article over the weekend about how the Phoenix, Arizona has been handling it. This is happening all over the country. We've got to find a way to address it, to help people find housing because most, most want housing and mental
2: health services yeah i know that there's been a the the governor has mentioned numerous times that that there's a there's a cap on the number of, of folks who are going to migrate to this to this state and i mean i don't know how it has impacted brockton mayor i don't know if you can speak to it
1: um, yeah i mean I, I can yeah i mean the, the healy driscoll uh administration's been great to work with much like the the baker polito since i've taken office and um, they have reserved fifteen one five fifteen rooms at the Holiday Inn Express. Um, I'm on a call every Friday. Um, you know, we we're seeing an uptick in tuberculosis cases, and uh, you know, we're, we're very concerned about um, the homeless population. And so, you know, we you know we are working with the state delegation. We're hoping to get some additional federal money as well, but. You know, I, I can just echo what, what the council president said. You know, we have a duty as elected officials. Actually, I would say as, as human beings, we have a duty to take care of others. So, um, you know, that's that's what we're trying to do here and, you know, providing the, the services. I have a social service director in the mayor's office, Ms. Jasmine Bradshaw, that's out there literally walking the streets, um, helping people. And, you know, um, development is key, but it's also um, a catalyst for making sure that we can take care of those that, that live, and more importantly, those that work and, and, and are in the city of champions, right? And one thing that the council president, um, she won't toot her own horn by, but I will. It's a major development going on in Ward 4, um, in the Campello section, right near the uh, train tracks, um, the commuter stop, where it used to be Lynch's towing. It was just acquired recently by NeighborWorks Housing Solution. And I'm not gonna steal the council president's thunder, but it's gonna be a game changer down there.
4: true it's true um we actually have three housing projects planned in that it, within a two block radius of each other two of them one i think both are actually neighbor works they've already been approved and permitted they're ready to break ground and i expect that it will be happening in early 2024 the third one is going in front of the brockton zba on november 14th for some variance requests um i think I think they will overall be terrific i worry about the impacts they're densely populated areas because at the end of the day all of the developers and consultants will disappear once the buildings are erected and then i'll be getting the calls but we will do the best that we can and um and go from there
2: so i'll I'll ask each of you as we get ready to wrap up again speaking with the brockton mayor uh, Robert Sullivan and uh, Ward Four Counsellor and Council President, Susan DeCastro. Um where will you each be uh, when the results are uh, are are out? Uh, you do you have a, a place that you're gonna gather with with your folks, your teams? Uh, and uh, what would you like to say to listeners? We'll start with uh, with uh, Susan.
4: well, i I traditionally, um, go to the, my my four precincts and get the final information, and then send them to various candidates, including the mayor. And then, so I will do that at probably eight twenty with my son, my husband. It will be busy tomorrow night, and then um, I'll probably go to an, another venue, um, Tin Rays. Uh The mayor will be at Doyle's sideline, and I'll be I'll be going to Tinrays because. That's where two other counselors will be that I will probably join up with. So I'm not having anything myself tomorrow night, but um, I hope to be celebrating.
2: Mayor, same with you. Anything you want to say to the listeners? And, yeah, and-
1: I mean, I, again, I just, I just want to urge people to go to the polls tomorrow, seven a.m. to eight p.m. and, and please, please consider um, both myself and Councilman Castro. But um, yeah, I mean, I have a, a headquarters, a campaign headquarters that I'll be at with my family and and my friends. My mom and dad are still actively, you know, running my campaign, and my wife Maria and, and our kids will be there, and and just some really core supporters, and then. You know win or lose we go over to uh tommy doyle sidelines on the east side and um, you know it's it's just about thanking people you know a lot of people kevin have spent a lot of time campaigning holding signs doing dear friends cards knocking doors um donating their time and their financial resources so i'm just very very thankful and um, you know i just i again i'm just excited about the future of brockton and and i really believe that we're heading in the right direction uh, and I hope people will consider both myself and Councilman Castro.
2: Well, Mayor, I want to thank you. And the Council, I thank you as well for joining us on the show this evening. Oh,
4: you're welcome.
1: Thank you, Kevin. For having me. Really appreciate it. Have a good evening. Yes.
2: You got it. And we'll, Mayor, we'll have you back on so you can talk a little bit about the holiday parade uh, coming up around Thanksgiving.
1: Would love to come on at your and uh, your request. Just ask me and I'll be there, Kevin.
2: Sounds like a plan there.
1: Thank you. Be, be well. You your got council it. President, thank you.
2: Robert Sullivan, Mayor of Brockton, as well as uh, Council President Susan DeCastro, I guess. We're going to step aside when we come back. We'll speak with Rick Kelly, Plymouth County Deputy Sheriff's Association, in just a moment. Stay tuned.
0: This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi on 95.9 WATD.
3: Fall is a great time to enjoy alfresco dining at the patio at McGuigan's. Start your open-air meal with a patio sampler platter piled high with chicken wings, cauliflower, potato skins, egg rolls, and chicken and biscuits. The patio's specialties include koji steak tips, braised short ribs, pan-seared salmon, and chicken marcella. Looking for something lighter? Sink your teeth into a patio burger, pulled pork sandwich, fish tacos, or margarita flatbread. Friday and Saturday nights feature live entertainment at the patio. At McGuigan's, sip on a specialty cocktail and unwind from the week as the fall breeze cools down the evening. The patio at McGuigan's is at 552 Washington Street in Whitman Center. And check out McGuigan's Pub next door at 546 Washington Street, also in Whitman Center.
0: The law offices of Drohan, Tachio, and Morgan in Hingham reminds you of the importance of getting involved in the community this holiday season and truly giving to give. It's a boomerang world where helping others comes back to you. Whether it's giving food, toys, or blood, make a difference and help someone. To the world, you might be one person, but to one person, you might be the world. This from the law offices of Drowin, Tachio, and Morgan in Hingham. Call 781-749-7200. Monday Night Talk continues all week long. Go to 959WATD.com slash Monday Night Talk and keep in touch on Facebook and Twitter. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. All right, and
2: uh, be sure to stay tuned, uh, top of the hour. Uh, Joe... Henny here. He's going to be joining us. We're going to talk uh, bears, rodents, and crazy critics. not necessarily in that order. So he'll be joining us in just a couple of uh, couple of moments. But right now, uh, we are going to speak with uh, with Rick Kelly. He is the board president for the Plymouth County Deputy Sheriffs Association. Rick, welcome to Monday Night Talk. Thank you. Glad to be here. So uh, let's start out with, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the uh, Plymouth County Deputy Sheriff's Association, um, the organization itself, if you will.
5: I will. We're a registered charitable organization, 5013C, as everybody knows. And it's comprised mostly of retired and current first responders. So first responders, anyone from police to fire to uh people who work at the jail, we have uh, corrections officers, so it's a, a group of people um, that have those capacity, but it's also joined with people from the community, like myself. I've never worked for the Sheriff's Department or never been in law enforcement, uh, but I would like working with the pe- those people to uh, do something good for the community and make Plymouth County a better place. So, um, most counties have it. Nine out of the 14 counties in uh, Massachusetts have Deputy Sheriff's Associations, and they're all very, very similar. I mean, we did a lot of research before we started one here. we started the research back in March and launched in august and so we had to find out what they were doing with the community what the programs they run and some of them have they've been around for decades, and some have wonderful programs and there's one out in uh, in Worcester County they give coats for seniors and there's meals and a lot of things they do so um I had the pleasure of being a longtime friend with uh, our current high sheriff, uh, Joe McDonald. We were hockey teammates; that's how we met.
2: Oh, yeah! He used to the south, the south Coastal League.
5: Yeah, I owned that league for 32 years. I gave it up uh, just a couple of years ago.
2: Oh my God, that was like so. For I, I do um, local programming for local cable, and yeah. we used to. Oh, and you know what? You're the voice of the intro, too, aren't you?
5: Yes. Yeah, God gave me this great radio voice. He, so. did.
2: he did. I was going to say that, but I'm like, I've heard this voice somewhere before. And yeah. it's the the intro to, you know, Great Hockey League. I actually, I used to work with the gentleman, Mark Duchamp, I think.
5: Um, who yeah. Was... yeah, he did play by play for us for years and years and years and years. Yeah, yeah
2: he did. And he would call. And I know that, uh, I know that, I believe that. Tim Cruz, uh, Plymouth County DA, has skated in that league. Still plays. Yeah. Still plays. Um, yeah. Who knows that he's he's pretty good at the hot quarter too. If you need a baseball player as well,
5: but he's a. I'll tell you, he's a great hockey player. You know, he should. Uh, he's one of the better players too. It's it's fun to go out watch. I don't run anymore. I gave it up two years ago to turn it over. To new uh, new leadership, and this is what I'm doing now. I have the pleasure of uh, putting putting together, helping organize, and now uh, uh, lead the Plymouth County Deputy Sheriff Association, which uh, we're already running programming. It's uh, a lot of work to start something that up, but I had the background um, being a sales and marketing person, also with my years volunteering for SCORE, which is part of the Small Business Administration, helping people start businesses. I do that as a volunteer now. So I had the background to do it, so it really kind of helped me once I got a g- great group of people together in order to organize this, and we're off and running now.
2: Yeah, so who, I mean, did someone approach you and go, hey, listen, we're thinking about, you know, we, we need we need board of directors, and we're looking to, to put together this organization for, you know, Deputy Shadows Association. Would you be interested? I, I mean, how did the conversation, and how did, was it a, a quick sell for you?
5: Well, uh, being a good good friend of uh, Joe McDonald's, and I have a lot of respect. He's been county sheriff here for, for forever. Yep. Uh, it seems like it just—I uh, mean, nobody even ran against him in the last election. He's, I think he's pretty solid, but he runs against you. Um, he knew my background and my volunteering with SCORE. I retired in 2017 and was teaching at Boston College after I retired. Uh, so I was teaching sales and marketing there and working with volunteering for SCORE and helping small businesses. He knew what I was doing, helping people start start small companies, and when they get kind of mired, and what do they do next, and where do they go? And you know, we don't know what to do. Do we incorporate? You know, what, what do we do? So he knew I was doing that, and said, "You know, I'd like to have one here." Well, there was one many years ago uh, before he became sheriff, and some of the other counties had one. Um, you know, Middlesex County is a big one, and uh, Worcester County's got a big one. Some of the counties are really small, just based on the size of the population, just a pure. Uh, and he wanted to put it together, so we did some research and looked into what other people were doing. And I pulled all their tax returns and how much money they're bringing in. Where's it all going? And how's it all work? And uh, and met with a couple of them too. Hey, what are you doing here? I was just going. How do you? What do you do? And I was intrigued by it. And I like supporting law enforcement. Also, um, they're good people. They're the people you call when you're in trouble. Um, and so I thought it was the right thing to do. And there were a lot of great people. Not only did he work at, for the sheriff's department, but the people in the community that wanted to do something together. And you have to do this thing right. You have to organize it properly, Mm -hmm. and you have to file the taxes and get your insurance and do everything right. And and so, we took a long time to get all those pieces together. Uh, And now I'm thrilled with the uh, the people that are involved, and we're going to do some wonderful things at Plymouth County.
2: Yeah, and and let's let's talk about some wonderful things Uh, before we talk about you know where the funding where the funds will go. Let's talk about um, a great event that's going to be happening. This is uh, local first responders are going to be competing. In the 2023 battle of the badges let's talk about who is involved in this and what is the competition consisting of
5: well it's uh ryan's the ryan's family side of the, it's not too far from my home here in hanover uh <laughs> they've, got, they've, got, they've got quite a place i went in there for the first time and said wow this place is great you know if you had kids you never want to leave you know um and what happens is there are uh, each one of different uh, police and fire departments, and there's a long list. There's almost 30 of them now, and everywhere from New Rockland to Bridgewater to fire departments and uh, first responders and uh, groups from, uh, of corrections officers, and uh, there's four of them. They compete in teams, and they're going to be bowling and axe throwing. Now, how axe throwing became popular, I have no idea, all right? And, uh, but <laughs> it is, and they're going to compete against each other uh, this Sunday afternoon. Uh, which should be a lot of fun. And uh, we'll raise money by doing that. There's a fee for each team to join, and they'll be a champion, and we'll hand out the cup. Uh, but we'll be able to get uh, a lot of great people together that uh, really help Plymouth County become a safe uh, place to live.
2: It's worth noting again, uh, as uh, as Rick was saying, uh, Ryan's Family Amusement, Amusement Center is 775 Washington Street. Uh, this is in Hanover. It's going to be from 4 p.m. To 7 p.m. and you get a chance to see uh, local first responders competing, throwing a- throwing axes and 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 bowling while raising some money. Now, my understanding is that this is going to be going to uh, something called Heroes Fund, the uh, the the Deputy Sheriff Associations, the Plymouth County Deputy Associ- uh, De- Deputy Sheriffs Associations Heroes Fund. What is that fund?
5: Well, is um, i 've been a member of the Hunter Club of Massachusetts for many, many years, and what the Hunter Club does is they give money to people firefighters and police they were to lose their life in the line of duty. I'm very, very sad, but it is. I've been part of that forever. We didn't have anything in Plymouth County. Uh, there's an overall state one. And also, it didn't include other first responders, didn't include emergency medical technicians, didn't include corrections and support staff. And people have a regular job. The duties include rendering assistance to people if there's a crime or an accident or an emergency. I thought they should all be covered. So what we established here as part of the Deputy Sheriffs Association is a Heroes Fund, where we hope we, this never is needed. I hope this might just builds forever, and I'm. I'm dead and gone, and, and this money never gets spent. But if somebody were if any of those people, first responders, and it, it encompasses a lot of people, encompasses people that uh, would, if you were in an emergency, anyone who comes to help you, they would fall in this particular group. If one of them were to lose it, in the line of duty, now this isn't, anything other than that; it wouldn't be a, you know, a personal car accident, it has to be in the line of duty, uh, we would give their family immediately a $10,000 death benefit to help them. Um, because that's when need the money, like, right away. and my experience being in the hunter club, I've seen how that can help people uh, when they immediately need help. So we've developed that fund. We have it. And the percentage of every event we run will go there. Now, we'll run different events during the year. Our membership will bring us things. We'll look for ideas, things that we can do. We have, you know, memberships is growing quickly because it's the community and people and law enforcement together and also first responders. And as they bring us ideas for programs to run, we ran something for the Hanover YMCA recently. We have this coming up, and we'll go from there as we run uh, programs, at least quarterly, uh, to help the community. And we'll pick a different charity for each one of the events, so we'll, except for our Heroes Fund, which, which is our homegrown fund, Mm. Um, we'll do different charities each time. So as people come those listen, we have a great idea. We can run it because we've established, we have the office, we have the staff, we have the computers, we have the the insurance. We can run programs now uh, and run them because everything's bonded and and, uh, taxes are paid and everything's done properly. We can run programs right now because we have a system and a group to do it. And we'll be able to do some wonderful things going forward.
2: Now, I know I mentioned the, the Heroes Fund. But it also is worth noting that the proceeds are also going to go to the Plymouth County Outreach and the 24-hour power. Could you talk to me about uh, those organizations and the, the, they'll also be a part of the monies that are raised and that they'll be they'll get
5: assistance. Yes, they'll get 90 percent of the funds uh, of the, the net funds, which. Because of the, Ryan's, the Ryan Center, they're, they're wonderful. They're, help, they're not charging us for a lot of things. They're making it. They really want us to help us make this thing happen, being our host. So those particular programs help families with people with addictions. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not deeply involved with those things, but that was brought to us by one of our members and said this is something where we would like to do. They're a great organization. We, did it for, we helped them before. So that's a perfect example of someone our membership coming to us with an idea, Something they want to do, and a charity tied to it. So we endorse that, and we're spending a lot of time working on it. Um, but it, it's it's easy, you know, with the internet nowadays, you can get things done done rather quickly. So we're we're looking forward to it uh, to help helping all of them. And we'll take we'll take in the money. We'll auction off some great things, and then we'll. Uh, uh, I'm not a bowler, but uh, I'll be cheer them on. You know.
2: Well, I think they have those things called bumpers. So if you're like a bad bowler right. like me. You always yeah. put those in, put the little <laughs> flashing lights on. That's what they do these days. Is that they make bowling fun? And even if you're not that good, like me, they'll put the bumpers in for you for free.
5: <laughs> I saw somebody bowling when I was in the uh, when I went down there to, to check the place out, and I was like uh, rather mesmerized. Wow, you know, good. If I had young children, I'd spend a fortune at a place like that. You sure. know, um, i older now, but I saw what it was done down there. It was all lit up, and everything. It looked like a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to this.
2: Now, again, we're giving folks the details about this fun event. I think what we probably should do next is how can folks purchase tickets? What's the cost of tickets? Uh, is there a website? Can we give that information?
5: Well, our, our website is PC Deputy Sheriffs. That's with an S. PC Deputy Sheriffs dot com and if you go to our website it, it explains about our organization there's a big link as far as joining it you know we're limited to 30 and i'm sure it's going to sell out hasn't done it yet but it has to be a group of people of a first responders group we don't want people from the general public to join up they can join our association um glad to do that um people do have to pass a quarry because we just don't want to you know get the wrong people with the sheriff department's name on it but um so people can could join our association all the information's on our website it's a uh, beautifully done so you can go there click on everything about us explains who the board directors are explains what our goals are um has pictures on there of, of events we've already run so you can really learn about it that way as far as people coming to watch there is no charge to do that I just come down and see what we're doing That's, uh we're not going to charge admission or anything like that but you can come on down and uh and see if you choose to do so um i think people are going to bring their kids and things which would be a lot of fun
2: you know I, again i know we're promoting this, this local uh, first responder's uh, event uh, how do you how do you guys decide the events that you're going to put forward to be able to raise funds to be able to give back
5: well that's a wonderful question, and it's it's wide open at this point. Uh, we all have a lot of experience, and I do. I ran, um, as you know, I mentioned I own a nonprofit for thirty years with the hockey league, so I have experience doing those things. Um, so I think we're we're pretty wide open to suggestions at this point. Um, we have some things we could fall back on. We're gonna run a, we're gonna run a car show again. We'll do the, we'll do things like that. We, we'll do the uh, the bowling thing. We'll do those type of things. But being a new organization. I'm going to kind of leave it up to the membership to come to us and say, listen, here's what we want to do. And if we can do it, we'll bring it before the board. We'll sit, we'll, we'll sit in our office in Pembroke there and on uh, Riverside Drive and say, okay, here we, what can we do? How does it work? How does it fit we, or accomplish it? Do these things fit our goals? And will, will this really benefit and help the community? Is this going to make Plymouth County a better place to live? Yes, and we want to do that. And that's what we'll do. I also includes everybody because they did one of these bowling things before. and I heard they had a lot of fun. It just was a lot of fun for them. Because, face it, the people involved are volunteers. You have to make it fun. (laughs) Do good work, but also make it fun. And we're going to accomplish that under the pretext of everything we've accomplished so far.
2: Again, if you're just tuning in, we got Rick Kelly. He is the president, board president, of the Plymouth County Deputy Sheriff's Association. As uh, we've been here talking a little bit about the organization itself, uh, what it does, and uh, the upcoming 2023 Battle of the Badges. Uh, taking place this Sunday, November 12th, from 4 to 7 p.m. at the Ryan's Family Amusement, uh, 1775 Washington Street in Hanover. Anything, uh, Rick, that we haven't touched upon or anything that you want to reiterate during uh, our uh, closing moments here?
5: First of all, thank you for having me on and uh, thank you for being so well prepared. You were uh, you do were hard to head. Um our heroes find something we're very proud of. It's something we're gonna work work with. It's kind of our shining star why way to accomplish this. Um I've met some wonderful people uh at the Sheriff's Department over the past couple of months putting this together. More than half of our members so far do not work there. They're from the, the community. They're community people who want to help do these things. But it's some wonderful people there and wonderful people in, in law enforcement, also firefighters. They want to help the community. They just don't want to do their job. And this gives them us an avenue to get together and work with people that I consider personal heroes to do their jobs and also make a better place to live other than just do it, doing what they do for their work. It allows to help the community in other ways also, and we're proud to be part of it.
2: Well, we are proud to be able to kind of share this information, and we welcome you back on. Uh, Maybe in uh, four or five weeks, uh, you've got some uh, events coming up. But just to remind folks of the work that you do, uh, you have an open door.
5: Thank you very much. Don't forget, on the the web, we're pcdeputysheriffs.com. All the information is right there, and feel free to call. Excellent.
2: Well, thank you so much, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. Good night, Kevin. Okay. There he is, uh, Rick Kelly, uh, our guest. And can you believe it? Oh, the first hour, gone. It goes that fast. Hour number two uh, is just right around the corner. Uh, top of the hour news and the weather to kind of keep you up to speed as to what's going on. Brought to you by uh, CBS News. Uh, and then uh, Joe Kenny. He's already here. Warming up in the bullpen. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, chatting with him uh, as he is a a local uh, animal control officer and uh, an all around good guy. We'll talk with him in just a couple of moments. But right now, you are tuned into Monday Night Talk right here on 95.9 WATD. We'll be back in uh, just a few moments. Don't go anywhere.
0: Freshfield, WBMS Rockton.
3: Fall is a great time to enjoy alfresco dining at the patio at McGuigan's. Start your open-air meal with a patio sampler platter, piled high with chicken wings, cauliflower, potato skins, egg rolls, and chicken and biscuits. The patio's specialties include koji steak tips, braised short ribs, pan-seared salmon, and chicken marcella. Looking for something lighter? Sink your teeth into a patio burger, pulled pork sandwich, fish tacos, or margarita flatbread. Friday and Saturday nights feature live entertainment at the patio at McGuigan's. Sip on a specialty cocktail and unwind from the week as the fall breeze cools down the evening. The patio at McGuigan's is at 552 Washington Street in Whitman Center. And check out McGuigan's Pub next door at 546 Washington Street, also in Whitman Center. Head. Indulge yourself every Wednesday night, tune into the Francesca Luca Show and join me for provocative conversation, intriguing stories, and inspiration. So sit back and relax, or be stimulated, or both, because being connected feels good. And who doesn't need more of that these days? Don't miss the Francesca Luca Show Wednesdays at 9 PM on 959 WATD.
0: Find Monday Night Talk on Facebook and share your opinions. Go to 959WATD.com slash Monday Night Talk. All right, we are back.
2: Later this hour, we are going to speak with uh, book author uh, Steve Stroom, uh, author of the book Success and Self-Discovery coming up uh, at the, the bottom of the aisle. But right now, uh, our guest is Mr. Joe Kenny. Uh, Joe is the uh, he's the animal control officer in the great town of, of Abington. But he's also somebody who uh, has a, uh, a well-renowned educational program called Joe's Crazy Critters. And this is where kids and even adults have a chance if they want to you know, pet a um, a lizard or a snake or any type of you know critter. Joe may have it. You never know. But uh, he's also somebody who has to deal with the animal population on a regular basis. Joe, welcome to Monday Night Talk. How's it going,
6: guys? This is your your first time here. Great to have you. Yeah, definitely my first time. Never been on a radio before, so <laughs> this is a whole new thing. Um, I, as an
2: ACL. Um, what has it been like this year in regards to, you know, whether it's yourself or even talking with other animal control officers dealing with bear sightings? Is it something that you've been having conversations
6: with people? So it's been a pretty big topic this year, um, especially in our area. Fortunately, it's actually stayed out of Abington, which is nice. But um, the local towns—Abington, Hanson, Whitman, Rockland—they're all pretty close by, so we've had some discussion about it. Um, But fortunately, most of that stuff has been handled pretty well with the police. They kind of inform people, been keeping people posted with stuff, um, and just really keeping the public as informed as possible um as they get calls they always touch base with me let me know when it's in town if it's <laughs> hanging out in a neighborhood or a certain area it's gone into trash something like that now uh, it, it,
2: what's what's the consensus uh, are there a slew of bears or is it just one
6: bear that has uh a really good travel you know knows how to travel well so as far as i'm aware right now um I think there may be two-ish in the area, Um, maybe not so much in the Hanson-Whitman area, but more so in that East Bridgewater area, kind of passing in and out. Um, There's one that's been predominantly more active, so to say. Um, He's kind of got the name Pumpkin in recent lights. Um,
2: is that its its favorite dessert, is pumpkin?
6: It's definitely on the top of its choices right now. So this time of year, they're pretty much eating whatever they can find. And when we leave a nice, tasty squash out on the deck, it's an easy meal for them. Is that something... I, I mean, because, again, looking at social media and seeing what
2: people post, some of it you've got to say, eh. But I know that some of the things that have been put out there is that maybe people might be you know, leaving food out for the bear and, 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 and enabling the situation.
6: Yeah, so with any wildlife, one of the biggest issues is when we create a comfortability with people. Um, and one of the easiest ways to do that is by enticing them closer to us with food. Uh, so things like bird feeders, specifically suets, a big one. They they really high-calorie food. Um, and they got to eat, so something like a nice block of suet's it's a great meal for them. Um, pumpkins this time of year, they predominantly in the wild, they're going to eat fruits when they're available. So pumpkins are a nice big chunk of fruit um, <laughs> and an easy meal. So bird seed, um, bird feeders, pumpkins, um, any kind of like if you have pets and um, a lot of times people like, might feed their cat outside. A bowl of cat food's just as tasty to the bear as it is your cat. Um, So I recommend keeping the-
2: Hopefully hopefully not the cat.
6: Yeah, hopefully (laughs) not the cat. Um, But I do recommend like any kind of, feeding an animal outside. Um, Those are things that would also attract other animals. Maybe not your pet, but other local pets, Um, raccoons, skunks, possums, anything that's looking for an easy meal especially this time of year. Are, are their tummies, uh, does,
2: is their hunger or their out out and hunting and gathering predominantly more, more um, something that they will
6: um, pay more attention to than their fear of humans? So not really. Bears are actually a pretty intelligent animal. So they're gonna be relatively alert this time of year food drive is pretty high food's getting less and less available um they're going to eat things that are higher calories like acorns beech nuts um anything that they can find like for instance your pumpkins um they might even scavenge roadkill stuff like that um and that's because they need to increase those calories the weather's getting colder and they really need to put on that weight to make it through the winter
2: do they do they do these bears are local bears? Are they the typical type to hibernate? Do they still hibernate?
6: Yes, so uh, black bears hibernate. Um, usually it depends on food availability, temperatures. Um, it's not like they hit a certain date and they're like closing up the doors. They just they're gonna <laughs> depend on what's going on out in nature. So we've had a pretty mild year. They might go a little bit longer than usual. Um, typically end of October, mid-November is when they start looking for somewhere to bunker down. Um, and then they'll kind of do a hibernation or kind of a dormancy period. Um, sometimes black bears will even like wake up middle of the winter, come out, look for a snack, go back in, take another nap. Um, it's just not a true hibernation, but it's like a dormancy period they'll take. All right. If you're just tuning in, we are speaking with Joe Kenny.
2: Uh, he is uh, a local animal control officer, and uh, he's here talking about a couple of different things. Uh, we're starting out with bears, of course, because that seems to be the 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 topic of of you know a lot of folks who are watching. It's funny to see on Facebook folks getting images. I know that you said that it hasn't made its way in Abington, but it did kind of disrupt trick-or-treating in Whitman and Hanson, that that was my understanding. Um,
6: What does one do if they see a bear? I mean... So as far as seeing bears, um, I've gone to New Hampshire my whole life, seen plenty of bears. We went out hiking, seen them. They've walked up onto our deck. Um, The best thing to do, make yourself known. Um, You don't want to startle them as much as you don't want them startling you. So if you're walking, make noise. If you're in a wooded area, make that noise, make yourself aware that there could be something around. Um, and typically, they're going to see you and notice you before you notice them. Um, like I said, they're pretty smart and they're they're aware of what's going on. They're looking out for predators. They're looking out for potential threats. Yeah, they're very instinctual. And, yeah, very instinctual. So, they don't see people as a food source. They're going to see us as a threat, something that they want to stay away from. They don't want to encounter us. Um, so, that's why, like, kids being loud outside and playing and just being kids, right? That's why you don't usually have bears come around when there's people out playing. And i not seeing them coming into, like, a schoolyard or something like that that sometimes we might be afraid of. But the truth is, that's a loud environment. They're going to try to stay away. They want to be left alone. They want to disappear as best they can um, and feel safe themselves. Okay. I will
2: say that unofficially, I think that there may have been a bear... In my backyard, and I'll tell you how I know. It was usually my dogs want to go out seven, eight, nine o'clock at night, and we had one night that I was taking the the younger dog out. She's she's kind of yappy, so we're take, I'm taking her out, and they were a they were a bunch of dough in my right on the edge of my property, and they're kind of just hanging out, you know, doing their thing. You know, I don't know if they were kind of you know foraging, but all of a sudden. I heard the, you heard a roar, and the dough took off. Like, you know, they, they want no part of it. Now, I don't know if they, if it, what what it was at that time, but also my dog, and I'm like, I just grabbed the dog, and I'm all right, in the house. Um, so I don't know if, it, in fact, I had, but I never heard anything growl, and then see, you know, a pack of dough just take off, like, you know.
6: Yeah, it very well could have been. Um, beers are pretty vocal, so sometimes you'll hear them, like, st- like kind of making snorting sounds. Sure. Um, that's pretty typical for them, grunting kind of noises. Oh, um,
2: I, think I think I think Irona does that a lot, Ed Perry. He's kind of a snorter and a grunter.
6: Yeah, yeah, yeah. snores a little bit here and there, right? But, <laughs> yeah, so typically you can hear them sometimes making those noises. A lot of times people freak out, too, because they'll stand up on their back feet. Um, they'll put, kind of lean up, put their heads up in the air, and people take that as like a threatening posture. Sure. Um, they typically don't have the greatest eyesight. They can see what they say is pretty much like us, but they're kind of nearsighted, right? Okay. So they don't see quite as good. Um, it's kind of out of focus. Yeah. It's out of focus a little bit. So a lot of times their sense of smell is much more important to them. So what they're doing is they're trying to stand up. They're trying to figure out what's going on. If they can't quite see something and they think there's something around, they might stand up. And like you said, sometimes they do make noises. Growling, kind of snort and gruff kind of sounds. Right. So I feel like we've learned a lot about about our our
2: local neighborhood bear, uh, who happens to you know been making its way from one community to to the next. And thank thank you for sharing some of the information yeah, that absolutely you and your local ACOs I'm sure share from time to time and and keep an eye out on. Uh, I want to talk about another another incident, and, and I found it interesting not too long ago that you actually did a, a cable show. Uh, talking talking about the growth of the rat population, that it seems as though it's,
6: it's exploding. Yeah, so I think it's a popular anywhere this humans is going to be rats, right? Um, and it does seem to be more and more popular. Um, again, it's an issue that I think it's going to continue to develop as more and more people, population goes up. We have more food out. We're leaving trash out. Um, dumpsters, having really big things, having secured dumpsters, um, you really want to eliminate the food sources. Um, again, you know, I to be hating on bird feeders here today, but um, <laughs> bird feeders are a big thing. So that excess seed that's falling on the ground, I want to try to rake that up, get that excess seed off the ground. Um, your squirrels are knocking stuff off. Oh my
2: God. Let's, let's, let's not go there because two, I want to say three years ago, I learned in regards to how pesky, talk about another rodent, uh, how pesky squirrels can be. I've tried every trick in the book where I would have like an iron, iron rod out in the middle of the backyard and I would grease, you know, the pole so I couldn't get up there. And you know what? Gosh, darn it. Every time I turned around, it would find its way I got pictures of it. Like it would be it would find its way into the feeder. We had one that was we had suction cups on the window. Don't know how, but the little bugger found its way into that. Oh yeah. If there's a way to get to get food, a squirrel will find a way. I think they unionized. That's yeah. just my my thought.
6: There's actually some funny videos on like <laughs> YouTube where they make like, oh, yeah? squirrel mazes get yep. into bird feeders. Um, squirrels are another very innovative creature when it comes to getting food. Um, So they'll definitely be robbing your bird feeders. Uh, It's crazy, too, at night, we actually get, like, flying squirrels around here. People don't realize it, but at night, flying squirrels visit your bird feeders. No. Yeah, right? Crazy little tiny guys. Um, We have Two species in mass. We have the southern and northern flying squirrel in Massachusetts, but who knew? Yeah, weird things, right? No, uh, but
2: again, if there's a way for them to find a way to, to get in and, and get a, get a treat, they'll, they'll they'll definitely do it. So, what exactly is your community doing to try to uh, cull down the um, the rat population? Is it, is it so much as putting traps out, or are you guys taking another approach?
6: So there's been some things discussed um in reality the biggest thing is education with this stuff um it's educating business owners uh restaurant owners uh even homeowners just on safe ways to store seed whether that's even grass seed um if you have bags of grass seed in your sheds um it's another really pop yeah almost everyone has it and we don't think about it right but that's an easy food source their main food for a natural wild rat would be seeds, right? Mm. So they're going to be eating, like, your wheat seeds and stuff like that. Um, so our grass seed is a huge food drive for them. So that's why we're getting them in, like, our residential neighborhood. People are like, oh, there's no food. I don't have anything. I'm like, oh, you get 10 bags of grass seed for the spring sitting in your shed for the whole winter. That's an easy way for them to get in, eat that seed up. Um, and a lot of times like we might store our bird seed in the shed if you have seeds in the shed I always recommend putting them into metal barrels um, there's some other like more alternative ways of like preventing them too there's like sound machines that you can put in different areas if you're getting them in a constant place um, that are a nice long term thing that are eco friendly um, as well as how like if you're having a real issue with it it's good to let the health department know um, sometimes they'll keep track of where these things are happening just to make sure there's something not crazy going on in one area. But it's a good idea to kind of keep track of that stuff and just really stay on top of it. So I I
2: recently visited the uh, the Abington Board of Health with Lindsay Wright, public health nurse, and Chris Schultz, uh, your uh, public health uh, guy. And uh, they had a batch of... Of slim jims, I'm like, oh, I don't mind if I have. But he goes, well, oh, we need those for the traps. I'm like, what? What are, what are you talking about? What exactly is the deal with slim jims and and rodent rodent traps?
6: So, I, I, people use all kinds of different baits. Um, the slim jims might be an easy easy one. It's got a lot of odor to it, um, so it's just something that's oily, greasy. It's a high calorie snack for these things, right? They're just trying to survive, so they're going to eat anything. anything that they can find, and it's easier to find something that smells good. Um, peanut butter is another common product for that stuff. Oh, sure. So Yeah, peanut butter, Slim Jims. I've caught my um, share of
2: chipmunks with peanut yeah,
6: butter. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a pretty common <laughs> one, right? Yeah. Um, and but no, my
2: understanding is is that there's like a prophylactic that 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 you there's so a birth control that
6: is being fed using the Slim Jim. Is that accurate? Yeah. So so there is some uh, birth control stuff. So you can actually put it in the food, and then the rodents will eat it and essentially become sterile. Um, and it'll cut back significantly on populations. Um, and it's a relatively effective way in high density areas. Um, so putting in those calls, if it's if it's something where you're having a lot of them in one area, um, something where they might be able to treat using something in that same sense. Um, and that stuff is another safe way to do this. Um, putting things like decon that are a pretty toxic chemical yeah. where, like, these rodents are eating it, and then an owl eats it, and then in right. return, the owl's getting sick. Right. you're and, affecting the ecosystem. Yeah, you're affecting things up the ecosystem up up the food chain um this is something that really affects what eats it um so it's a little bit more eco-friendly and in many cases even more effective by cutting off the reproduction um is and have you noticed has this been successful or is it too early to say i'd say it's probably too early to say um i haven't been receiving as many calls over the past year or so so but I'm sure the health department's still getting a lot. Um, okay. As animal control, we don't take as many of the pest issues as like the health department yep. takes. Um, we still get the calls every now and then, and we'll kind of educate people, recommend different companies for different pl- things. But um, the health department's going to get a lot of those calls, and how they Abington's actually been pretty good about implementing some techniques to try to curve that issue in different areas. Something we'll definitely have to, to watch. And again, if you're just tuning in, Joe Kenny, uh,
2: he's here uh, chatting, uh, talking bears and, and rats. And and now we're going to talk critters. And I have to say is that your attraction, your educational program, is something that a lot of the kids and the families adore. Whether it's at the local summer concerts or if it's at, you know, one of the Oktoberfests. People love to come over and see some of the, the great animals and, and insects that you have.
6: Yeah, so uh, I run Joe's Crazy Critters. Um, a lot of people call me like the critter guy, uh, the snake guy, right? Um, <laughs> I've been, become pretty common. Um, and know most of the, the kids in town at this point, right? Got they it. all know who I am. Um, I've been doing those programs for about 18 years, wow. and it's a hands on kind of program. Mostly reptile based. I like the idea that some of these animals are a little bit less known um, or even in some cases feared, like snakes and stuff like that. Yep. Um, and in many cases, people that are terrified of these things at the end of an hour long program or the end of hanging out with at one of my tables for a short period of time, they're touching them, they're holding them, they're taking pictures. Um, Recently, had a woman. She was 98 years old. Um, she told me it was on her bucket list to touch a snake, and I was like, "All right, well, now we're gonna make you take a picture with <laughs> one, right? We gotta get gotta have some proof there." So um, we got 98 year old uh, great grandmother taking pictures with her grandkids, and uh, even our great grandkid was there. Wow! Pretty exciting stuff. So, well, what? 18 years. I would think that
2: your collection has has grown. Over the years, if you just kind of give us a, a, a running list, what are some of the things that, that you have that are are your uh, your 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 pets or are part of your crazy critter troop?
6: Yeah, so there's actually uh, quite a few animals, as uh, you're gonna imagine, um, birds, lizards, snakes, weird furry things, right? Um, a little bit of everything. So. A lot of the stuff I take in comes from people that may have either illegally had it as a pet. Maybe like a monitor Um, lizard or something? Yeah, like a monitor lizard. um, Picking one of those up this week at some point, right? Um, So sometimes people end up getting these things illegally. They might buy them out of state. They drive them in state, and now it's an illegal animal. Um, They might order them online, and these animals are coming in here illegally. It's super important to check your, your town and state bylaws. Um, as well as the environmental laws and stuff like that before you get any kind of exotic pet. Um, even dogs and cats, like every town has a little bit of different laws with that stuff. So it's important to check into that. And uh, that's actually where a lot of my animals come from. Some of my personal pets, uh, I like turtles, right? So I actually have quite a few tortoises and turtles. Um, I really like my geckos. Those are some of my favorites. Uh, the weird little guys.
2: All
6: right, no, no, no. Let's not do any advertising
2: here now. So, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So, um, um, what about as far as as far as insects? Uh, do you have any? Oh, well, I don't know if you yeah. can call a tarantula an insect. Can yeah, you, you so can
6: you? I do have some bug-like creatures, right? So, uh, mostly arachnids. So arachnids like your spiders, scorpions, whip scorpions. There's a whole bunch of them in there. They're eight-legged critters. So I have uh, tarantulas. There's a few species of those. My quite a few species of those. Do you have um, a round number? I don't know. There's probably thirty or so. Okay. Um, quite a few of them. So it might. So feeding time must be very interesting over at the Kenny household. Oh yeah, yeah. We uh. So some of the common food items in the house, right? So uh, I actually have. I, regularly, That's how you get rid of the rat population. Yeah, yeah bring them over to me. So I, uh, I do a feed off a lot of rats, okay. mice. Um, so they all come in frozen and packaged and a little bit strange, but it's what it is. Comes in the mail, yeah. right? Um, I also do crickets, mealworms, superworms, wow. three species of cockroach that I feed out pretty regularly. Um, my mailman's always a little bit weirded out when he has a box of cockroaches in the car, but... You know, they're all tropical ones that are common food sources for reptiles, okay. right? Do these things make noise or... So, no, the uh, the crickets make noise. It's one of my least favorite things about any of the food is the Hey, crickets. your box is making noise. What's yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the crickets, right? They're, I uh, think, they can be a little bit irritating, like, especially if that one cricket gets loose and you can just hear it oh, somewhere. God, somewhere in the house. Yeah. So, that's why I stick with the cockroaches. They don't make noise. Um, okay. Creep people out, but they don't make noise. The ones that I use don't climb. They need to be pretty hot to make babies, so. Okay. And they're usually gone long before that. Okay. Good to know. Definitely good to know. Um, When, How do you
2: schedule or how do you um, schedule some of your crazy critter educational programs? I mean, do you do it depending on events that are happening in the communities
6: or what? Yeah, so I um, book out pretty quickly. Uh, So I always tell people to reach out as far in advance as possible. Um, You have people that book out a year in advance, sometimes even longer. Um, But I do all kinds of programs from school events, um, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, do nursing home programs, do birthday parties are definitely a popular item. Um, And I always tell people to either email us at Joe's Crazy Critters uh, at gmail.com and crazy is actually spelled with two z's which is a little bit weird right, Bleh. Bleh, right? Bleh. it's a little bit different right but uh, yeah it's joe's crazy critters at gmail.com um, or go through our Facebook which is also joe's crazy critters um, two z's two z's yeah two z's and crazy right um, and I usually the Facebook and and the email is usually my favorite Way to method do it. yeah okay. you'll probably deal with Diane she gets quite overloaded with a uh, getting the shows. It, it's a fam, really a family-run business. So uh, my brothers help out. My sister helps out. She does a lot of the programs with me nowadays. Um, Diane's and my mother. She'll be one booking shows with you. Okay. She talks to people way better than I do. So <laughs> uh, we always leave that up to her. <laughs> she can deal with the craziness of getting all that scheduling stuff in, which gets pretty hectic. Um, and for birthdays, we usually have two or three groups of people that can go out on a weekend and do those and stay pretty busy. Well, Joe, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, wealth of information
2: this evening. We definitely appreciate your time and we look forward to uh, having you back in. Maybe we have uh, Diane coming with you too. Absolutely. I'm all for it. All right. There he is, Joe's Crazy Critters, uh, also ACO in Abington. Uh, thank you for the great information. Thank you, guys. All right. We are going to step aside And uh, the final segment of Monday Night Talk, it's already here. Stay tuned.
0: This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi on 95.9 WATD.
2: I'm Peter Brown of Tiny and Sons Auto Glass in Pembroke. People ask me, is there anything they can do to prevent getting a broken windshield?
3: Is there anything I can do to prevent getting a broken windshield? See? There is. Those
2: big gravel trucks, when they're being loaded, rocks get stuck in the framework of the bed. Truck hits a bump, rock hits your windshield, it pays to stay way back. It
3: pays to stay way back.
2: However, if your windshield is broken, just call
0: 1-888-64-TINIES. And thank you. By the middle of the week, so much news has come your way. You need your own team to sort it out. Lucky for you, there's Jared Valenzola and the JV team to talk about the things you've heard and catch you up on some things you might not know.
2: I'm Jared Valenzola. Join me and my guests as we have fun with current events and try to put things into perspective each week. Sponsored by Corey Welch of Boom Realty. Catch the JV team every Wednesday night at 615 here on 95.9 WATD.
0: Download the Monday Night Talk podcast from iTunes for free. Just search for Monday Night Talk WATD. We now return to Kevin Tachi and Monday Night Talk. We are back. You know, usually between, you know,
2: between the uh, the segments, it's, a, it's organized chaos here. So yeah, shifting one guest out, Joe Kenny, great job. And our, our next guest, if you want to pull that microphone just close enough to you, close? Steve.
1: Okay.
2: Uh, we have Steve Strom. I think I said that right, Steve Strom. You got it. Exactly. Steve is, uh, is a book author. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about his book called Success and Self-Discovery, a business memoir with insightful tips and personal development advice that will help any entrepreneur. And that's Stephen M. Strom. That's just correct. To, just to be in uh, Stephen is someone who born and raised in in Newton, served uh, our country in Vietnam. Thank you so much for your service. In
7: Thailand, I have to defer give deference, okay. deference to the boys that were in Vietnam. They, um, were, they but, had it a lot tougher than me.
2: But you're uh, you're you're a veteran, um, and Does you I, actually uh, you actually started your own company, Venmark. Yes, I did. So uh, and which was based in Wellesley for forty years. Until you moved uh, you moved it into your home some five years ago. Uh, that's right. It was okay. time to slow down a little bit. So uh, right out of the box,
7: I have to ask you, so is this your very, very first book? Yes, it is. Uh, it took me 40 years to get around to writing it. Really? <laughs> I made notes in my uh, journal back in 1983 that I wanted to write a book, and the working title was Blue Collar Entrepreneur. Because you always hear about the white-collar entrepreneurs, the guys from Babson, MIT, they want to start a company, they raise several hundred thousand dollars, several million dollars, and they they pay themselves a couple hundred a year and they go to work. And if it doesn't work, they do it again. A blue-collar entrepreneur is different. That's the guy down the street with the coffee shop, the tailor shop, the photographer, the gas station owner. Uh, whoever it might be, these are self-employed people. Those are entrepreneurs. I call them the blue-collar entrepreneurs, working-class people. So,
2: what what finally pushed you? I mean, you, you tell me what motivated you to write the book. What something had to finally give you that finally oomph, that push to go. All right, I'm going to I'm going to do some documentation, and and I'm going to I'm going to lay this out. Now, a lot of the folks that I've I've talked with over probably the past couple of years, some of them have said that. Uh, you know, the COVID was something that, that, you know, it was one of those things like, oh, what can I do? I'll write a book. Not everybody has taken that approach, but some people it's like, you know what? I finally felt that I had enough information that I could kind of put it into a book to share with others.
7: Well, the truth of the matter is I saved, and I still have every uh, appointment book, every business appointment book since 1976. And I kept journals. That's a long time ago. (laughs) I kept journals. I started this company in 76. And I kept journals for a number of years, uh, for most of the 40 years, actually. And uh, when I was going through troubled times, they were more active and I would make more notes. As things got great and good, it might have been 10, 15 years between entries. But again, back in 1983, I said to myself, I want to write this book. And uh, I had some very painful times in the beginning. Uh, of the business, made some mistakes, uh, and so forth. So I was kind of reluctant to get back there, to write a good book, you gotta have your head back, and you gotta be back there. And I was reluctant to do that. So um, I waited, and then finally, at the ripe old, a couple of years ago, at age 73, I said, I looked at myself in the mirror, and I said, you know, you've been talking about writing this book for 40 years get off your butt and write the damn thing. So a friend of my wife's, a dear friend of mine as well, I've known for 50 plus years. She said to me, look, just write a chapter at a time. In fact, write a chapter, send it to me, I'll critique it. She's written three books oh, and send it back to Perfect. Me. So lo and behold, after a year, I had 22 chapters. And then I got a professional editor who's, who was absolutely phenomenal. And uh, she helped me craft it into a real book. And uh, I uh, launched it. I haven't really f- f- you know, launched it, but I, I published it in uh, mid-August, and it's uh, taken off pretty well. I'm pretty happy. So, so how do you feel? That, how do you feel the process went for you as an author?
2: You know what I mean. I mean, were there times? I mean, depending on who you are and. You know, some people it flows. Other people they well, they get to they get to they get a little bit of a writing block, or they get to a point where they're like going, I don't like how you know what I mean. It doesn't come as easy as maybe the first couple of chapters.
7: Well, overall, I I probably I've rewritten the book probably ten times at least. Um, it doesn't. You know, it's interesting. I, you know, I, I write for a living. I've been a publicist for for 40 plus years. And over the past, oh, I would say 15 years in particular, I wrote a lot of blog posts and a lot of articles. So I have a, I have a collection of a couple of hundred essays. So I spread those out as the basis for a, a number of things. Like there's a chapter, for example, entitled low pricing can kill your business. And that was at one time a, an essay that I wrote And about an experience that I had where I, I, geez, I I was talking to these executives in their conference room. And uh, they loved what I was talking about promoting their products uh, internationally. It was a medical company. And I'm sitting down with a half a dozen people and the VP of this and the executive VP of that. And everybody's getting excited about what I was doing. And once I told them the fee, the room went silent. And uh, they essentially said, thank you very much, and ushered me out the door. And uh, geez, that bothered me. I'll never forget it was February 12th, my dad's birthday. So it took me a while, and I woke up at about 3 in the morning, and and lo and behold, it, it occurred to me that my price was too, for what I described I could achieve for them, my price was too low. And that's why I came up with the title, Low Pricing Can Kill Your Business. But it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I repositioned the company, renamed the company, increased all my fees dramatically. I ended up doing 10000 a week in business for six weeks. I couldn't keep up with it. And because what had happened was I, was I was talking about what I did and giving them Ford prices for a Porsche product. But when I raised the prices up more in line with, with um, what I presented, I started selling more and doing better. So, so that was one example of, you know, of uh, a low pricing can kill your business. That became a chapter.
2: That, that was a good analogy you, for pricing for a Porsche product. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> um, why are you so passionate about National Entrepreneurship Month?
7: Um, did you ever hear about it before?
2: Uh, before talking to a guy named Ian? No. Yeah, okay. Or, that, or reading your book? No.
7: Yeah, that's what, that, that's what bothered Entrepreneurs are the backbone of the country. Um, I got a report from the 95th Congress ben and I, back in 1978 which talked about entrepreneurship being the foundation of America and the future of America. And back in those days, 92% of new jobs were created by small businesses. Today it's down to 64%. So it's small business, entrepreneurship, risk takers. That's the foundation for the country. And a lot of people don't know about these blue-collar entrepreneurs, everyday entrepreneurs, and what they do for people. You know, for example, um, I had a, i had an assistant for 26 years. I've had uh, only th- in business 46 years. I've only had three assistants, but my last one was 26 years. And she said to me one day, she was she and her husband owned a second home, and uh, she was sitting in you know at her desk, sort of moping. I said, well, "Geez, what's the matter?" And she said. Uh, well, they've increased the taxes on my second home up in New Hampshire, and I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to uh, lease it out and rent it and. We didn't, we didn't really didn't want to do that, but we don't have any choice. They said, well, how much are you renting it for? And she said, fifteen hundred a week. I said, no, okay. I said, sign me up for two weeks. So draw up a lease for me. So she signed up, signed me up for two weeks, gave me a lease. I gave her a check for three grand. And she gave me the lease, and I tore it up and said, here, you take my two weeks. This is what goes on in small business. That type of loyalty begets that kind of generosity. And uh, I see this with clients. Although I've had clients I uh, finance people's uh, da- deposits on houses, apartments, you name it. This is what happens in small business. And that's what I really, really like. And, you know, I miss a lot of the attitude. I remember back in 1978 when my business took off and I was going to buy my first Porsche. I called the bank and I said, hey, uh, I need to borrow back in those days it was 15 grand. I, I, I need, to, need to borrow some money. He said, how much? I said, I, didn't, I forget exactly, 13, blah, 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 something. He said, hey, what are you doing tomorrow morning? I said, I'll be in my office. He said, put the coffee on. I'll be over at 10. Next morning, it comes to my office with a check, and then we filled out the application. That's the way business was done. You know, this was the banker right down the street in Newton. But uh, so small business, uh, those kinds of relationships are what matters in this country. Small business people um, support communities. Small business people um, take care of each other. And uh, small business people become success. The outliers, you know, the Bill Gateses, the Steve Jobs, the Jeff Bezos, they create create literally millions of jobs. I think I think Amazon now uh, employs a million six hundred thousand people. And terrific opportunities. I mean, I self-published this book, if not for Amazon. I mean, 80% of books today are sold on Amazon. So, you know, uh, and they have a terrific program for uh, promoting books and so forth. So, you get, there are a lot of opportunities created by entrepreneurs. Um, and, again, what I especially like about entrepreneurship is the mindset of freedom, the mindset of free enterprise, and philanthropy. And I think of Ken Langone, for example, who financed, uh, uh, arranged the financing for um, the Home Depot um, with, uh, geez, I think Arthur Blank and the other fellow's name escapes me right now. And uh, as a result of his good fortune, he finances uh, doctors now can go to nyu medical kids can go to nyu medical school free tuition free because he put up a hundred million dollars to for tuition free medical school so this is what entrepreneurs do Mm. and um you know i personally was inspired by an uncle of mine who uh did extremely well he was the uh co-founder of Egghead Software. I don't know if you remember Egghead Software. I, I,
2: the, Back in the Egghead day. sounds like, a, yeah. like a, a vaguely familiar term, but I don't yeah. want to lie to you and go, yo, yeah, yeah. you know?
7: But he was uh, in Seattle and in, in the, in the, uh, involved with a, a lot of the high-tech guys and did extremely well. In the last 10 years of his life, he gave away $90 million. And I he guess. told me it was more exciting to give that money away than it was to make the money. And that's, you know, an inspiration to me and uh um, unfortunately i don't have those kinds of assets but uh, (laughs) nevertheless
2: (laughs) and it's worth noting to folks that that november actually is national entrepreneurship month so which is which is why i i asked that so talk to me about about the the fork in the road that made you decide do i want to work for somebody or do i want to do i want to be an entrepreneur i mean when, when did that happen for you
7: um there were always sparks of it early on in my life, but uh, but the real, the real the real fire came when uh, I worked for a company called Amer- Fireman's Fund American Life Insurance Company in uh, Walnut Creek, California. The company was in San Francisco. and I was uh, got a job in the division in California after I moved out there. And um, I worked I took over sales territory that was forty ninth out of fifty in the country. And I took over the territory uh, in uh, (laughs) this 1975. Within three months, I outproduced my predecessor's entire previous year. Took the territory from 49th out of 50 to third place in the entire company. And my boss called me into his office. And I figured, this is fantastic. I'm going to get a, you know, probably going to get a raise. So he called me into his office and sat down. and, And he says, you know, Steve in Life... There are people that need to have steak to be happy, he said, and other people are satisfied with pork and beans. He said, around here, pork and beans are just fine. Do you get my drift? And I got his drift, all right. So I was just absolutely blown away that here I would be in a multinational corporation doing an absolute incredible job of producing everybody, and uh, I'd get treated like that. I was totally dejected. So I took the next four weeks, and I, and I was really conflicted because I basically didn't work for four weeks. I went down to the Marina Green in San Francisco. I ran. I worked out, uh, chilled out. I made a couple of calls. And then a month later, I happened to be in the home office in San Francisco. The VP in charge of brokerage sales puts his hand on my shoulder and says, congratulations. I said, for what? He said, you're leading the company in sales. And I just looked at him and I said, "Shame on you, Dick." I said, "Shame on you." I'm leading your company in sales, and I haven't worked in four weeks. At this point, I was—I had had enough. You know, I didn't know how to deal with it, so you kinda I kind of checked. You kind of checked out. Yeah, I, I, I figured if hey, if I can get myself fired, that's you know. Any rate, uh, and in those days it was tight security at Fireman's Fund. I remember one afternoon. Um, so, anyway, I went into his office and he talked to me, and I—I I did. I said, "Listen, i, I want to write your national sales training program. You guys don't have a clue what you're doing." So I got triple promoted into that. Then we went back and forth. He says, what if we don't, you know, we've never done this before. What if we don't promote you? I said, I'll go to the competition. They'll promote me, you know, anyway. So I, I ended up getting myself promoted into the home office. That was culture shock because when you're in the field working for a company, you go out visiting people, you're bringing them something they need, and they want to see you. You know, mm-hmm. In the home office, I was sitting in this big room with a bunch of people. I, I wrote the National Sales Training Program in two weeks. It wasn't a big deal because I'd already been implementing it. any rate, that turned out to be a disaster, and somebody had heard about me, a fellow by the name of Mike Gerber. Now, Mike is extremely successful guys written 13 best-selling business books and he was my mentor he recruited me into this company it was called Newsmaker we, we created publicity for people and uh, the exciting thing about it was it was straight commission sales and I said to myself you know if you're really as good as you think you are then you gotta do this but it was an agonizing decision even though I was in my mid-twenties fortunately I didn't have any children my wife had a great job we talked about it extensively, and uh, I decided to go for it. And again, I, it was a small business. Uh, my total income was a basis of commissions and overrides on salespeople that I hired. And you know, the average income in the country in those days was about ten eight a year, ten thousand eight hundred a year. And I had I'd been making about seventeen thousand in a company car, so I was doing real well. So I let that go. Went, dove in straight commission, and. Lo and behold, within three months, um, my two partners said to me, hey, listen, we would like to put you on salary. So they gave me 36000 a year plus a company car. So here I am, you know, 26, 27 years old. I'm making three times the national average for income. Now, in those, to give you a perspective, in those days, $35,000, $36,000 you know, 5.81. And you're talking about you know, a kid making $175,000 right? know, who was doing pretty well. So, anyway, I did that for six months, and we went from zero to 70 some odd thousand in sales. And my wife and I promised each other when we moved to San Francisco in 74, would come back to the bi- for the bicentennial in 76. So, we came back for the bicentennial, and my wife stayed for two weeks. I only stayed for one. And I had been, Kevin, I had been so um, burnt out, not burnt out, yeah, maybe burnt out. I, I was, let me put it this way. I was going to work at 6 in the morning and coming home at midnight, uh. You know, smoking a couple of packs of butts a day. I wasn't eating because I was too busy. You know, anyway, it was crazy. So when I took that break and came home and saw the family, saw my friends, had a great time, a week I was able to decompress and, and feel normal again. And I was hoping to get back after all that effort I would put into some kind of a more regular life, you know, because that was insane, exciting. You know, every day was a uh, World it's Series. 18 hours, away, uh, 18 hours a day. It was exciting. I mean, I just, you know, sleep got in the way. I mean, I just didn't want to take the time. You know, it's your own business. You get excited and enthusiastic. And I had, I had two partners who, you know, who were um, older than I was, and they were just, you know, they were getting it out of me and getting it to happen. And it, it, you know, it, was, it worked out, you know. So, at any rate, after my one-week vacation... I got back to San Francisco and got a call from Mike, said, Hey, meet me at the airport to get a gig in Los Angeles. On the way back he says, Hey, we want you to start another company for us. And I said, Wait a minute, that that wasn't our agreement. That wasn't our arrangement. And I'm, you know, and I was I was it was a gut punch. It, it was like taking a right to the gut from Mike Tyson. It was awful. Did
2: you feel like it was a setback?
7: Oh, total setback. Yeah, yeah total setback. Now, interestingly enough. Um, I had lent them some money at one point, which they wouldn't give back to me until I signed a non-competition agreement and all this other stuff. But anyway, at that point, I got a book entitled, Where Do I Go From Here With My Life? Oversized paperback book. And uh, actually sat down for six weeks and that was my job. I said, this is it. I want to figure out what I'm going to do for my life. And this is too, you know, too intense. So, so I did, I came up with a, big piece of shelf paper that said what needs doing, what preferred people environments, my top skill clusters. I mean, it was just, and, and ultimately a, a work objective. So my initial objective it was to find a sales management position. So I interviewed with this company in Boston called American Career, I interviewed with a couple of companies, but this was called American Career Planning Services. A guy named Walt Cameron, terrific guy. And he says, Steve, I like you, but you, you know, you don't have enough experience. Uh, I said, I said, Walt, I've done it, though. He says, I know. He says, but I haven't had enough experience. I said, you know, I'm here in this, and since I've done it, I know I can do it again. I said, he said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I think I'm going to start my own business. If I do, may I come see you? The birth. And he said, yes. So um, I put $300 in the bank. I had a business card, letterhead logo made for 100 and a quarter. I hired a straight commission salesman. I had order pads made and this and that. And it went and I saw Walt Cameron at uh, Prudential Tower in Boston. And I remember the appointment was on December 12th, 1976. And uh, I, my wife was my assistant. I said, I have a one o'clock appointment. I want you to call me at about, um, call me at about one fifteen, one twenty. Take me out of a meeting, I want to appear to be important. So what am I going to say? It doesn't matter. So, anyway, she calls, you know, oh yeah, and I'm going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, tell, listen, tell him it's, uh, it's as soon as I can see him as three. But, anyway, so I go back to my sales presentation with Walt. Who I liked me obviously because he invited me back and I had my salesman Len with me, and he says to me um, he's explaining I'm showing what I do creating value, and he says look, and I'm not General Electric I've you know I've spent a lot of money and av- I don't have that much money, I said well how much have you spent on advertising he said forty thousand dollars, I said you can't afford not to spend another four hundred our fee was three ninety five in those days, so he wrote me a check for three hundred ninety five bucks. Lennon and I left his office. I said, thank you, left his office. We go out to the elevator. I had to pee so badly. <laughs> I hit the 38th floor. We get out. We find a red room. Come out of the men's room. I look across the hall, and there's a sign. It was like divine intervention. The sign says, Associated Industries of Massachusetts, Director of manufacturers for sale 1595. 1575. So I bought it. We went back and started making cold calls. And that was the beginning. And we officially started the company in, uh, officially in January of 77. I incorporated in April of 77. By September, I had 10 full-time people. And we wow. were rocking and rolling.
2: Let's uh, And again, if folks are just tuning in. Uh, we're speaking with uh, Steve Strom. And we're talking about his book, Success and Self-Discovery, a business memoir with insightful tips and personal development advice that will help any entrepreneur we got a couple of minutes left here and i want to at least kind of talk about how do you see the state of entrepreneurship in america today has it has it changed over the years do you feel that it's 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 better than ever or is it is it is it fruit that's dying on the vine
7: no well if it dies the country dies um you know and that's one of the reasons i'm so passionate about national entrepreneurship month national entrepreneurship month was established in 2011 by uh, President Obama, and I'm surprised it hasn't gone anywhere. I'm, well, maybe I shouldn't be surprised. That's a different topic. But at any rate, uh, you know, if, if you Google and you look at it, it's, you know, sanctioned by, it's, it's mentioned in, the, in the, the United States government website, but uh, nobody pays much attention to it. But... Um, uh, small business, 99.9% of businesses in this country are small businesses, and small businesses are the largest job creator. Uh, 64% of net new private sector jobs are small business jobs, and 49% of, of, of the sector is small business people. Small business people are responsible for their own actions. It's the the American dream. This is why the gig economy has done so well. Why Why Shopify? Why Amazon? Mm. You know. Now, I also believe that's directly related to um, uh, regulation. Right now, we're very highly. There's a tremendous amount of regulation. Overly regulated. Overly regulated. Now, I look back at you know the wonderful period of of. The 1980s was a very exciting period for entrepreneurship because uh, Reagan had lowered the tax rates, deregulated, and those two things always create a robust entrepreneurial economy. Jack Kennedy did it back in the 60s as well. Now we're in a scenario where, unfortunately, um, uh, unfortunately, today, with Biden's economy... The cost of doing business. So is, is, uh, I'll give an example. Even uh, this is a this is a continuation of Obama's uh, policies back in in uh, 2010, 29 I had a client not too far from here um, in Canton, and I asked him if he's concerned with competition. He says, "No, not at all." I said, "Why?" He says, "The cost of regulations today is too expensive to get into this business. Nobody can get, afford to get into it. You have to have too many lawyers. You've got to you've got to fill out forms. You've got to." Uh, do all these different uh, things that weren't available previously uh, We get
2: like two minutes left so I want to okay. make sure we get I want to ask one more question and then we want to get the word out okay. about how folks can purchase your book um, What can we do as a society to encourage our young people to start their own business Is, can, can we do anything?
7: Well they have to be encouraged to take responsibility for their own behavior that's the exciting thing about entrepreneurship. You know, we go out there, we put it on the line. It's like a pitcher pitching a baseball game. If you do a good job you get a little bit lucky, you're going to win. Right. You know, uh, so it's really an attitudinal thing. And what I've found is that there's the people that are a little, the kids who are a little young people that are tech savvy, they're doing it. They're making it. They're doing, you know, videos. They're doing their influences. They're making money. The people who are less tech savvy are, eh, that kind of, Complaining and they're going to work and they're not happy, so it's really a, a, it, we just need to talk more about entrepreneurship and more about uh, um, taking advantage of this country and the freedom. I know people who have gone to other countries and they've moved home because uh, the freedom here and, and the ability to start a company. So regulation is the key. Today we're overregulated; it's killing small businesses. The small business banks are overregulated. Um, And and they're in a very tenuous position, and as a result, it's hard to secure money.
2: Forty years in the making, how can folks get a copy of this book, Success and Self-Discovery?
7: They can go to Amazon.com or smstrom.com. That's S-M-S-T-R-O-U-M.com, and that can bring you uh, to my website, and you can punch right into Amazon.com from there.
2: Thank you so much for being our guest.
7: Pleasure to be with you. This yeah. was a lot of fun,
2: and we'll talk to you next week at six fifteen p.m. Have a
0: good night. WATD FM Marshfield, WBMS Brockton. The South Shore's first choice for live team coverage of breaking news, emergency traffic, and severe weather. WATD. Streaming online at 95.9WATD.com and with your smart speaker just by saying Play WATD.